Mario, can you speak yet? Keep showing you as requested, but then you can't be brought up. I think Mario's in the glitch. Yeah, appears that Mario is in the glitch. How are you guys doing this morning? I'm feeling pretty drunk with power right now up on stage by myself, to be quite honest. I could say anything about Ran and Mario and, and nobody can really respond. Pretty, pretty incredible power, but I'm gonna I'm gonna hold my tongue. Anyone who uh Simon, were you here yesterday by chance? Were you listening, Simon? Uh I wasn't here yesterday, no. What did I miss? Uh literally nothing. I was gonna ask if uh why you decided to show up today <laughs> if you were. Uh, no, this is an interesting topic because um, I think it was a few days back when we were talking about the Bitcoin ETF. And then um, I think we mentioned the next announcement you'll see is the US government uh, wanting to sell some of their Silk Road Bitcoin. And we were talking about the Mount Gox story as well. So lo and behold, it happened. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, it feels like prophecy. But if you've been around long enough, you know that these things just always seem to align. So they say bad things come in threes or good things come in threes. I'm not sure which one it is, but uh seems to always be the case here. Mario, you're on stage. Good job. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. You're on stage too. Well done, bro. Yeah, but I, I did it better. That's what matters. Yeah, man. And, and, I'm, and, and I don't know why we're complaining about uh, the U.S. selling $130 million worth of Bitcoin. No, don't, don't, don't find it to be that big. I don't think the market's care either. I've looked at the markets, but I'm going to go check them out. I bet you they don't, they, they don't care. Let me see. Of course, they don't care. It's like that's like thirty seconds of GBTC sell pressure. Exactly, that's what I mean. So I just don't see. I mean, when, when you see five hundred million to a billion being sent every day uh, for grayscale, one hundred and thirty million starts to lose its flavor. It's like uh, you know when the government used to talk about debt and stuff. We used to think that billions were big but numbers, it, but, but now like but Scott, don't, no, even, don't even talk to me unless it's a trillion. You know how we know how we're talking earlier, um, and you probably you're going to be leading the space. I haven't looked at the agenda today just because of the, the space I was doing earlier. But um, we're talking about the volume being very low and any sell pressure will heavily impact the price. Now we're seeing GBTC selling pressure like we haven't seen in ages. And the, the, the price is, is, I know it's dropped a fair bit, but we're still above 40. We're about 41K. I just checked now. That must be looked upon very favorably, no, as an analyst. That, that's how I view it. I mean, people obviously take different uh, approaches to looking at the market. But in my opinion, if we have a known seller for the first time, it's interesting. We've always had these major FUD events. I mean, we've been, Simon, you've probably been hearing about Mt. Cox for 10 years. I've been hearing about it for, you know, seven or eight every day that's supposed to finally unlock. These sell events never actually happen. This one is as telegraphed and transparent as humanly possible. And there's still, you know, net inflows versus the outflows. I think that it actually speaks to the incredible success of these ETFs and to the demand for Bitcoin in general right now, because it's obviously not all coming from the ETFs. And we all know that the GBTC selling, it seems to maybe potentially already be slowing. Uh, I haven't looked at the numbers today, but the fact is that uh, it's eventually going to run out. And if the demand remains the same, it should be a pretty easy bounce. This is like the most predictable hindsight, I will say, 2020 dip ever. But like you said, it's not really that big of a dip. I mean, Bitcoin trading near 42,000 is pretty bullish. Yeah, I'm going through the news though. I can see that so, so Bitcoin ETF flows show negative trend for first time since launch. That could be seen as a as a more important piece of news, no? 
I mean, I think Ryan can probably speak to that a bit, but that's because the selling pressure from GBTC remained steady and there's always going to be a natural tail, I think, to the early inflows. Yeah, I remember a lot of these, a lot of the um, issuers, obviously from the very beginning, had seeded or had people they knew would be buying, right? You knew that, we knew that, for example... Uh, BlackRock, we had the reports would have one to two billion of inflows already lined up. And I think it was Bitwise had 200 million, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So then you get to start to see, I think, the natural inflows. And throughout last week, actually, we were actually seeing increases on the fourth, fifth, sixth day of inflows, which is something you rarely, rarely see with ETFs. I mean, I was just looking at James Seyfert and Val Tunis's tweets, as always, and they pointed out that Valkyrie past 100 million today and that would have been one of the most successful etf launches ever in a vacuum and it's way down the list even of just these so i think it's just extremely successful and we're going to continue to see these inflows is that the first negative and brian would love to get your thoughts on this but is that the first negative uh, outflows the net outflows we've seen uh, since the launch of the etfs is it true uh i I think it's the second, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. I think we've had two days of negative outflows overall across all of the ETFs now. Okay, and is that as Scott said that the the GBTC selling pressure is consistent? The outflows from Grayscale are consistent, while the inflows have kind of eased up. Is that true? Yeah, I think that's accurate. That's what we're seeing. And how long do you expect those outflows to continue for? Uh, it's a good question. You know, I think the estimates were anywhere from twenty five percent to fifty percent of the, the GBTC would result in outflows. It's hard to know how much of that flips directly into inflows into other ETFs. Uh, we, you know, we've, we've seen some of the sell pressure come from FTX and other estates that held GBTC that, that liquidated those assets over the past two weeks. Uh, you know, you have, you have people that were running the, the uh, arbitrage trade, right, where they could buy GBTC at a, at a discount before the ETFs were approved and then probably closing out that trade. So it's hard to know if it'll be like 25% less or more than that, maybe 50%. So I could see outflows continuing for, you know, another did, week or two. Um, from J- JP Morgan, they did put out a piece yesterday saying, the analysts were saying that the outflows are largely behind us, uh, should be largely behind us, as I'm quoting directly from them. And uh, thus, quote, limiting any downside for Bitcoin from here. So essentially they're saying that a little color on that, Mario. Yeah, uh, just a little color on that, Mario. Last week, JP Morgan had put out a report that they speaking specifically to the arbitrage trade that Ryan's talking about. So JP Morgan really not looking at this holistically. They're sort of looking at the people who took the discount and wanted to exit the market entirely rather than those who might be reallocating. And they estimated there was about three billion uh, in total of people that would be exiting GBTC because they took that discount trade. And obviously when discount to NAV goes to 0%, they exit and move on with their lives. They estimated that to be at about a total of 3 billion in the first you know, couple of days. It was already at 1.5. GBTC sell- selling is now way over 3 billion. They think the percentage of that, that's uh, that arbitrage trade has effectively been drained. And so they think, uh, I think accurately that that means that the outflows are going to subside. I mean, you have to imagine that most people who were dying to get out aren't waiting two weeks to get out, right? They did it. Ryan, anything else to add on that? Yeah, I, no, I, I think that's true. I also think, you know, the price the price falling might have a bit to do with the slowing of inflows uh, and the acceleration of outflows. And if we see the price continue to turn around here a little bit, I know 
I know we're still, you know, probably close to 20% below where, uh, where we were kind of pre ETF launch height, uh, in early January or earlier, or, or maybe at the end of last year. But I think, you know, it does have an effect if the price starts to fall and you're, you're sitting in, uh, in GBTC, or if you, if you've gotten into another one of the ETFs and, uh, you see the price dip 15, 20%, you maybe you get scared of the volatility of Bitcoin or, you you get scared that you're missing your moment to exit if you've been if you've been holding GBTC for a long time and that becomes kind of a self fulfilling cycle uh, obviously as more sell pressure hits the market and so I think you know if the price had gone up we would we would be in a different world when it comes to flows and if the price turns around I think we could see momentum coming back into these things it's a little bit of a a little bit of a, a speed bump to obviously have the price fall twenty percent following the launch of the ETF so um, yeah I think I think though you know these ETFs are just a long term play like. We we just still expect to see overall, you know, billions more flows coming into these ETFs throughout the rest of the year. Uh, and I, I was at a talk yesterday at the Bloomberg offices with with that Eric Balchunas gave, and he still put his uh, estimates for flows into these ETFs at ten billion uh, this year, right? And so uh, it net flows into these ETFs at ten billion this year. So I think we still have quite a ways to go uh, throughout the rest of twenty twenty four. I mean, I haven't checked. What's the total market cap now of all the ETFs? 27, 28, something like that, if I had to guess. I know that GBTC dipped below 20. Um, and I know BlackRock is about at two now. I think Fidelity close behind in the 1.6, 1.7 range. I mean, there's meaningful AUM in these things. Ryan? Yeah, just sorry, just checking now. Uh, yeah, 25. Uh, 25 billion as of as of yesterday um based on james's his tweet makes sense which actually curiously was about the uh was about the market cap or aum of gbtc before all of this but uh so it does make sense and we've only seen really <laughs> 600 700 net inflow if you look at at it but I don't think that that's an accurate way to look at it, as we said before, because I do think there's a tremendous amount of outflows that were just in it for the trade and had no interest in Bitcoin or rotation, right? Yeah, I think it was a great trade. I think the the, uh, the discount trade in arbitrage trades was a very popular trade over the past two, three years. Uh, we saw it get some people in trouble, you know, with uh, Three Arrows Capital was heavy into that trade before they blew up in 2022. But uh, I think it's been a pretty solid trade over the past 12 months and would not be surprised to see people taking profits and just moving on to other things, uh, especially those that are institutional traders and arbitrage traders versus, you know, primarily long, uh, long risk traders. Yeah, that was a nice way of saying it. You could argue that aside from the uh, glaring and outright fraud, that that was the widowmaker trade that just <laughs> that collapsed the entire <laughs> industry. The, the GBTC uh, premium going to a discount and effectively destroyed Three Arrows Capital, BlockFi, and, and others because that's the way that they were effectively earning and passing on yield. So, yeah, uh, it's nice to can see you, that that's um, out of the market, although you, they'll find new ways. Can you give us a, just a quick trend overview, you and then Christopher uh, as well, just on, on the market in general and the Bitcoin price as well? Like we're seeing resistance at the, what, 40K mark? Was that a resistance level that seems to be holding? Remember, I'm I'm horrible at analyzing charts. Uh, we're about forty one thousand three hundred right now, so I would say that at least for the moment, uh, depending on your time frame, that that resistance is now flipped back to support. I think you'll want to see that happen though, 
you know, on dailies and weeklies as opposed to... So, I mean, to, yeah, yeah, so I said resistance. Yeah. I mean, support. So, yeah. I think 40K is a strong support uh, level, correct? I, I think that's what people are looking for uh, to hold, right? You want to see start to see larger timeframes closing above it and then maybe even see a dip to, to test it back as support after that. But um, it is encouraging that price was trading, you know, in the mid 38,000s and already is now back in the mid 41,000s. Really kind of a reversion to the mean. A lot of people keep, we, we keep pointing to the 49,000 number as the sort of uh, the, the top of that move. But we forget that that was about 10 minutes of price action. You know, price popped up to 49,000 right when the ETFs were approved and was quickly right back down to where it started, 47, 46. So we've meaningfully retraced a big part of the meat of the move and are still at a really reasonable level, in my opinion. And, you know, the minute that uh, Bitcoin has sort of calmed down a bit, you're starting to see altcoins push again. So um, I think just signals that we're generally in a bull market and that these dips are for buying. I think we should talk to Chris about it, though. I just sort of get his overview of how he's viewing it. Go ahead, Chris. Chris, you got to unmute, but I'm in the corner. By the way, did you know that Grayscale started giving uh, webinars now? About Bitcoin? Yeah, he, Eric he unmute, he, Chris unmuted, but I don't think his mic is working because I don't yeah, hear yeah, him. I did see Baltunas, by the way, to what you're just saying. They, he, that uh, He tweeted that BlackRock is having a huge conference to educate uh, yeah, RIAs on, on, the, on this. This is exactly, Chris, your mic this is exactly what we're talking about. I think this is, this yeah. is what will make the difference. Yeah, so we haven't even unlocked. Themselves. We haven't even unlocked the demand yet. The launch is just the plumbing. It's not the demand. Exactly, it's grayscale becoming one of our uh, uh, cheerleaders. Uh, I think this is the, the the game changer. David, we haven't spoken. I think we've spoken to David since the ETF launch. Uh, David. Yes, sir. How yeah. are you, Mario? Good, good. Yeah, congratulate us. Uh, absolutely, congratulations. Your thoughts on the market's response since the launch, and today we saw the first day of net outflows, but again, that's kind of expected with Grayscale um, and shouldn't last too long. Your thoughts on how the markets have been responding and where we stand today? Uh, I wonder if Gary Gensler is really happy at the way things have gone. Um, you know, I, I think he, he generally has a, a, a horse and an interest uh, in the outcome of this race, in, in spite of the fact that he really shouldn't, simply because he's a regulator to go ahead and protect investors as opposed to picking winners and losers in the market. Um, but look, obviously, for folks that were expecting a major move upward, it's been disappointing. Um, I think we are generally in a very bullish environment um, overall in markets, uh, especially coming into uh, the upcoming election cycle. Um, you know, the, 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 the macro economy in the United States is doing quite well. Um, that will go ahead and push people to go ahead and look towards what they believe are speculative risk on assets, whether Bitcoin is that. Let's leave that discussion aside for a second. But I think it will go ahead and push people to look at alternative assets they haven't looked at before. Certainly, the education that is going to go on is going to take uh, a lot of time. Um, and, you know, I, I think most most investors in this world, and I, I say that as for lay investors and professional investors, and when I say most, I mean like 90 plus percent are chasers. Um, and so once we start to see good movement, um, we will start to see uh, the, 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 the very loud rhetoric 
uh, again. And I, and I, as, 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 as a crypto, um, you know, long-term investor, um, it doesn't matter to me if it comes next week or next month. Um, honestly, I mean, I, I don't care if the P and L shows up, you know, next week or next month. Um, I I'd rather it show up though, under good conditions. And, and I think we're, we're going to have good conditions, um, it based on, like I said, based on the macro economy, um, and based on the fact that we've flushed out a, a lot of bad actors, a lot of bad related storylines um, in the asset class, and we're now ready to, you know, generally more institutionalize the asset class, have the holdings be of much wider breadth, and then start to get into what I think people in this room care about maybe even more is the real substance of cryptocurrency. How far can we go ahead and take this? How far can this go ahead and change markets overall, change commerce overall? Um, And I think those discussions cannot happen until we've got mass adoption in terms of investment. And then we will start to see those conversations happen in earnest uh, and then really another leg upward from there. Chris, is your mic working again? No. All right, can you hear me? Yeah, there you go. All yep, right, great, great. Yeah, it was something I had to issue with the uh, with Twitter there. It seems so I had to drop out and back in. But um, yeah. So I mean, uh, what I was trying to say was uh, we were kind of looking for this uh, this move up here. You know, uh, again, it hit my first target there at the daily S one pivot. We've rallied up uh, overnight. We were looking for the break the breakout back there um, above that. You know, that forty thousand two hundred kind of area. Uh, which we'd hit multiple times, um, you know, since uh, since Wednesday or so of this week. Um, and so we got that and we rallied up to the daily pivot. And that that's where we're finding some uh, resistance right now. Um, I'm still looking more along the lines of uh, about 42,200. And then um, uh, let me see, right about 43,550, 43,600. Um, as my as my two levels, I really want to see us overcome. If we can do that, then I think we're on our way up there uh, toward about fifty six eight, uh, and then um, a pullback, and then further up into sixty, if we can get that. So, you know, n- nothing really changing here uh, right now. We just kind of need to overcome this this uh, this daily pivot area a little bit higher there uh, that we're at, and I think uh, we start looking really good for further upside. Then daily looks great. RSI, Stoke RSI, stuff like that, indicators uh, just getting going. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I like, I, I, I blacked out when you said 56,800, <laughs> so I didn't hear the rest of it. Anyone else? <laughs> so I think it's worth uh, pivoting uh, over and talking, I guess, Ron, since we have you here, has anything changed on the legislative front? I know we, when I see you on, uh, on stage, I have to ask. I <laughs> know uh, it's uh, it's a good question to ask. And sorry, can you guys hear me? Uh, stuck in the Capitol right now. Yeah, so. you're good. You're good. Okay, sorry. If I do drop, play the tunnels and walking through. Uh, yeah, there's really no update yet on the legislation. But the thing that to, to monitor that was big this week was Mitch McConnell really bowing down to Trump on the whole Ukraine uh, border package. Uh, and I think you know it's always we call it silly season here in DC when it's like the campaign season. Everyone is just trying to get their talking points in to prove either party's better than the other rather than actually legislating. But we've kind of like hit that point really early for DC. Uh, and so now like everyone's in campaign mode and Trump is kind of de facto running the Republican Party. 
um, for better or for worse, which uh, Nick Henry, he went on CNBC yesterday and he's been very vocal saying, look, the more we do this campaign stuff, the more we actually just trying to get talking points and instead of actually legislating, the less time we have to actually vote on crypto legislation. And I've been waiting since October of last year to vote on my bills, but we keep talking about the speaker race, the border, Ukraine, and nothing gets done. And so there's some growing frustration, but it seems like I think in the next month, we're going to start seeing some movement um, in the house. So uh, not full details just yet uh, have been revealed, but uh, I think it's going to get a little busy come February and mostly March. I keep an eye on March for legislation moving, but idea of market structure or stable coins passing, it, it gets slimmer by the day. And that's uh, the unfortunate truth, especially with the campaigns uh, kicking the high gear. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, the consensus has been that nothing will happen in an election year period, right? Um, I mean, so it, any movement, I think, would be viewed as positive in context of that view. Yeah, I mean, Congress is very reactionary. So if there is movement, it probably means there's something bad happens. So um, it, uh, I still hold on to stable coins. I still say market structure is probably 5% or less at this point. Uh, they're they're, they're, they're going to try. They're going to try to do market structure first. Uh but I keep an eye on stablecoins. Stablecoins is still probably the one that we can get some bipartisan agreement. But at least right now, Patrick McHenry is in one place. And then the Senate banking chair, Sherrod Brown, who's running a tough re-election, he's in a very different place too. And basically, those two have to come together to an agreement. It's, they have nothing in common right now, both in crypto and other financial services legislation. So threading that needle is going to be very, very difficult. And let's not also forget... Sherrod Brown is getting uh, hit pretty hard in his home state of Ohio from Fairshake and a few other PACs uh, associated with crypto companies or crypto uh, individuals. And so Sherrod Brown's getting a little heat from the crypto folks. And I don't think he's going to try to do them any favors uh, when they're campaigning to replace them with a definitely more pro-crypto Republican, uh, Bernie Marino, it looks like. That all makes perfect sense. The one thing we kind of didn't talk about, Mario, much this week was the Binance uh, SEC hearing. We do have, I don't know, Fred and Lawyered, since we have two lawyers on stage, if either of you have been closely tracking that at all. But it seemed almost like a forgettable event after the Lollapalooza of Coinbase versus SEC the week before. Is there a reason that we're not really talking about Binance here, Fred? You know, I think there's, whenever you talk about these court cases, it just gets very specific into the facts and the weeds and actually who the judge itself is. And, you know, if you have a judge that isn't fully on top of their game as what crypto is, then you're going to get some bad rulings for, um, for crypto. We don't have a ruling obviously in Binance yet. It was just oral argument, but this, this judge uh, doesn't seem as on top of it as the judge in the Ripple case or the um, Coinbase case, but she's definitely not uh, as bad as some of the other judges uh, either in the cases. So um, really that that judge actually kind of took the Binance lawyers to task a little bit, um, especially on the BNB coin. That That's looking uh, not good for the security designation, just if you go by their um, the judge's comments, although the judge also took the SEC to task, no, you know, asking well, what's going on. You don't seem to really have an answer for, you know, why you're talking about any of these other things that are that are cryptos or not. So it was a it was a mixed bag. We're not going to get a ruling there for probably a couple of months. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it comes out. You know, it's just you get all these 
opinions stacking up one way or the other. And, you know, right now, the while, while Ron's going through the legislative side of things, you're just stacking these things, these decisions, one on top of the other. And we'll see what happens as it makes its way up to the appellate courts. Yeah, I was talking to Nathaniel Whittemore, NLW, this morning, and he made the point I hadn't really thought about because I sort of said, well, you know, why why are these cases viewed as so differently? And there's a few things, but you nailed the main one. Coinbase doesn't have a token and Binance does, right? And the, the, those make them wildly different cases, I think, at the very base. Also, we also have the DOJ action already closed against Binance, CZ, everybody's moved on. So it, it feels like a civil case against Binance when you've already dealt with the criminal side is going to obviously lose some of its uh, interest to people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And and that's the thing, too. There wasn't for the crypto world, the uh, Terraform case uh, wasn't very favorable um, if you're pro crypto. And, you know, that's kind of a similar thing that's getting wrapped up with Do Kwan. Everybody sees him as the villain. So there's not that kind of um, uh, cheering from the sidelines that you get in uh, some of the other cases. Absolutely, Simon. What, go what's ahead. Ha- what's what's, like, what's happened with Do Kwan? Maybe get an update on that one. Is he gone to jail? How long do you think expect him to go to jail for? We haven't even spoken about him. Oh, you know that's that's a good question. Um, I don't actually know exactly where his criminal case is. It got delayed um, till March. It got moved. Yeah. So he. Uh, that's right. So you know, it's just deal mode right now. Um, you know what. What cut type of deal can he salvage, if at all, if if he wants, if he's going to plead guilty? Is he I mean, is he is he facing is he is he facing is he in a worse position than than Sam, um, or is, is Sam screwed more? I think that uh, you know, again, this is our judicial system. It all depends on who your in this case, in the criminal case, it all depends on who your prosecutor is. So. Do you have a prosecutor that's going to go hardcore, seek everything, the maximum? Are they getting pressure from their higher ups to say this has to be the maximum? Or are they willing to be a little more open and say, all right, you plead to X, Y and Z. We're only going to push 15 years. You know, you're out in 10. Um, And I don't have a good handle on on what his particular prosecutor is doing. But I, I don't. Just again, in terms of the the media attention, it's just not as as high as it was on <laughs> Sam. So I think he's not going to be as bad. But um, you know, that's just all reading tea leaves. Simon, Simon, you've been following the Doquan story. Yeah, following a bit. So I mean, Mizinski and SBS are facing 150 up to 115 years. Um, the Doquan one, um, you know, yeah, it got moved over to March, and they said it cannot move again uh, and that was just a jurisdictional issue um what, what's the country he's in again i forget montenegro it, uh, montenegro. montenegro but he's being extradited to the united states i think they won over south korea in the battle for extradition yeah so um yeah i, I expect it to be less severe than sbf and mizinski actually in terms of the number of things because it's more around the security side which the binance case um although we haven't been covering it like everyone's got bored but um, it, it, it starts uh, the low-hanging fruit of which tokens are securities because if ever there was a token that would be a security, it's the one that was sold in order to raise finance that's connected to the profitability of the company that has a buy and burn structure where people buy it because they think it's going to be connected to 
the growth of the company. And so the if they if they use this one in order to re- like classify a buy and burn exchange token as a security in the US, which I think it clearly is, um, then that will have impact on all of the other exchange tokens. And then there may be some spillover effects because obviously Binance tried to it started as just an ERC twenty to raise finance, uh, but then it pivoted to trying to be decentralized and tried to and then created its own chain in order to try and circumvent essentially. Um, and then does that start to have spillover effects on? Uh, do they try and get more spillover effects on like the Coinbase case uh, with things like they've obviously got base and layer twos and things like that? I don't think it will go that far because I think Coinbase is set to win and uh, Binance is set to lose. But at, at some stage between these cases, there's going to have to be a red line uh, between what they do consider a security and what they don't consider a security. And if they all win, um, then essentially it's back to unregulated other than money transmitters. And then the US will actually, and then it goes into the political cycle, because if it turns out that the SEC doesn't have jurisdiction, then it's got to do what the rest of the world is. It's got to come up with its own virtual asset service provider regime, figure out a new regulatory body. And then that probably ties in with stable coins, elections, timing, and all that type of stuff. So I do think it's worth, like the, the Binance case is, is really worth watching. I think we could just have Simon do the show and, you know, uh, get the full summary. Yeah, and I think Ryan, <laughs> Ryan, you want to Ryan. jump in on this? Yeah, yeah no, I, pre- I really appreciate this, uh, all this, this color here. Uh, one thing that you said that, that struck me as interesting is uh, around the emphasis on the buy and burn element of the uh, BNB, reading through the Coinbase uh, charges from from last year, a lot of the assets and maybe all of the assets they included, uh, or most of them they included in that in those charges, they put emphasis on the you know operating company or launching company uh, promoting the spy and burn function. And so, I guess I'm I'm curious why they might be so hung up on that when it comes to the Binance. Uh, suit, but there's like this seemingly optimistic outlook for the Coinbase suit when a lot of it hinges around uh, some of the same elements, like, for example, the, talking about these crypto asset securities, quote unquote, promoting this buy and burn mechanism in both instances. You know, Ryan, I would I would just say, and, and I'll add this um, kind of what Simon was saying is that you know the SEC and and I just personally believe they're on they're getting orders from higher ups you know maybe Elizabeth Warren and her crew but you know they're just everything is anti crypto you know you just mentioned it they created the term crypto asset security and I just want to add because we had the ETH, uh, ETF denied delayed from the SEC you know just yesterday or the day before um, you know I'll, I'll say that I don't think that's going to be coming until we get the same type of court action that Grayscale went through. And, and just as an aside, our firm, Hoddle Law, we, we sued the SEC back in November of 22 in a declaratory action to say, hey, Ethereum's not a security. We're using it every day. And, and, and you know, we're, we want to know if we're engaging in unregistered securities transactions. And the SEC in court, now they take opposite positions depending on where they are and what jurisdiction. They said, hey, listen, um, I don't, I'm not going to get into the weeds, but there was a famous seminal speech from the SEC from a guy named Bill Hinman that Ethereum wasn't a security. But, you know, they said in court, 
we don't say, you know, essentially we don't care what that guy said. Uh, we can make our own decision whenever we want. And we haven't made a decision on Ethereum. And I'm uh, that, that case got dismissed at the trial level on standing, but we're appealing it in the Ninth Circuit right now. And so I, I just think with that kind of fight, you're not going to see anything with Ethereum until you've got similar litigation with, you know, a, a grayscale or wherever this case goes that we're suing. So I, I just don't think there's going to be any movement on that front without this type of forced uh, court battle. That makes sense. Great color. Preston, do you have any thoughts there? We've got we've got two other lawyers on stage. We we need to get billed. Yeah, I mean, not really, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, I just wouldn't. I'm I'm trying not. The the Coinbase uh, proceedings were were fairly interesting, but one can't really. You, the opinion doesn't come down until the opinion comes down. It's hard to know what the judge is going to say. So, yeah, that makes sense. I, I agree. Boy. I think yeah. not not too much new interesting here to talk about. And really it's like it's so different with the token. Like I, I tend to be of the thought that that this really does look more like a security. And I think that we should, you know, we, we have to be careful not to be sort of a crypto space that says, oh, you know, if it's on the internet, if it's digital, it's not a security. Because, you know, there are people out there buying it thinking, and it's true, if 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 Binance says, well, I'll do well if I buy this token. And you know, they're gonna sell if they're gonna raise money initially and they're gonna sell a token that you know, you can FUD by saying the CEO is bad or something like that really looks and smells like a, a security. And, and maybe at least in America where they have securities laws that should be, um, you know, treated. Lloyd, I have, I have one question for you. Maybe we can wrap afterwards, Scott. But Lloyd, while we're at the NFT ecosystem, we saw um, the last thing we talked about was impact theory getting sued and settling with the SEC. Um, and the settlement wasn't too friendly to them either. But then it's been mm -hmm. pretty quiet since that pretty much the end of the, the, the action against NFT projects. Make an example out of a couple and that's it. Oh, I mean, I don't know. Right now, they're like the low hanging fruit and the things they're interested in are not NFTs. But, you know, that could change if we see hype there. Um, it's really, you know, they're following the money right now. And at the NFT there was market a, is, is there was. It is, yeah, true now. But what about all the, 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 the ugliness of the last uh, cycle? If it's dead now, they forget about it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, like you and I probably know that it's coming back, but they don't, right? Um, I think they'll be more interested when it does come back. So it would be but even, hard to but say it, that we won't see anything. But even if yeah, I mean, Mario, back, there's no statute of limitations. You know, if they if NFTs become huge, they'll still be going after people. From yeah, 20, they can go back. It's just, it's just not interesting. No, there now. there is a statute of limitations. Um, the, Excuse me. There's no. If it happens in the next two or year, yeah. year or two, I'm sorry. There's a seven year statute. The, yeah, more, sorry. the more interesting case than impact theory was actually Stoner Cats. Um, so there were two cases that came. There were two settlements that were announced within like two weeks of each other in August. And the first one was impact theory, which was basically an NFT dressed up as something which looked a lot like an investment contract. I didn't have a lot of sympathy. Um, the second one though was this was this TV show about a bunch of ganja smoking felines that was backed, I think Mila Kunis was in it and Ashton Kutcher like backed it. And so it was really interesting. And they did a really like totally anodyne, you know, procedurally generated 10,000 NFT launch. And the SEC got them to surrender <clears throat> on the basis that that was an investment contract. And I think I think even Commissioner Person Uyeda both assent, uh, dissented from that. So it, more interesting, I think on the next cycle is whether we see things like Bored Apes um, and this is not the coin, but rather the imagery, whether they decide to go after those art collections like they went after stoner cats, which struck me as, as fundamentally the wrong decision.
totally I, I actually thought I actually thought that was way less interesting because they went after them because they were Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher, and they settled it because it was pocket change. So, I mean, it could have been really interesting to see it go play out. Um, I actually minted a stoner cat and, you know, kind of wanted to see where that went. Um, but no, I, I, they settled it because it was easier to end that call with a million dollar. Yeah, for cat. sure. Coolest lawyer I know, by the way, lawyer, uh, a lawyer that mints a stoner cat. Um, yeah, my favorite is about, I don't think I made money on that one. Uh, Scott, anything else? Did anybody make money on any? <laughs> yeah, of course. Run, run, no, I'm, no, kidding, oh. I'm kidding. I'm yeah, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Neo Tokyo. I'm just kidding. Neo Tokyo is that a real thing, or did you make that up? No, it was real. I didn't sell the top, but it was. It went. It was a free mint, and it went to like a 450 grand, and I think I I held it all the way down to like 3,000 or something. It's okay. all the way. Hold on. It went up to four hundred uh, to six figures, and now it's down to three thousand. Is that what you said? No, I, I don't. I think it was more like three ETH. Three or four ETH was the bottom. It went, um, but yeah, it was Becker and Elio. They made like a, a really cool like riddles to get it. I remember. It, yeah, I think yeah, I think I've heard of it. Know. They were on, on one of my shows. I remember that they, they were heavily funded. No, no, no. They, I, I mean, bootstrapped themselves. They had nothing. Okay. It was really just a stuff, like it. they had a lot of uh, interest from. But the floor, this is the floor was went the up. How much was the mint? Free mint. Oh, free mint. Holy. Yeah, it went yeah, up to multiple so six to four, figures. It went to like went the, down the to... top sales were like 450k, and then it went and it went straight down from there. What's the What's the um, project called again? Lawyered. Neo Tokyo. It's still around, and Neo I think Tokyo. it's like it went up a bit. NFT um, flow. I was definitely disappointed to see that I sold the bottom, but um, you actually sold the bottom. Yeah, but it was free. Yeah, yeah but it went up to Congrats. multiple six figures. Congratulations. Well, also, I'm missing something else. They airdropped bytes. It was a token they made. And at the time, I got like 600 bytes and they were 120 bucks each. I think I sold it. Well, I don't want to say what I, what I, I lost my keys in a boating accident, but it was a very good, it was a very good project. It just sort of, they let it go when in the bear market. Oh lost, yeah, lawyers, know, lawyers lost, are the best. Lost, lawyers lost are the best. Keys, he literally stopped his way halfway. Accident. He blacked out. Uh, he doesn't remember. Lawyer, we're going to delete the recording. Don't worry. I've got the shredder on. Ne we're good. Neo, Neo Tokyo is, is up to 10 ETH right now. So 23K. That's pretty good. Well, That's free, from free to 23K is life-changing for most people. Yeah, these, and they from, 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 these people from 400 from 400k down to 20k is depressing yeah. for, for what the top people. yeah but what the top is and what you could have done is like the most irrelevant trap you can possibly have in, in investing yeah, you, nice made, you made a whole lot of money on something you got for free seems like uh, you should just yeah run run with that one lottery ticket yep we disagree um but the, you know, does Simon and ron have the hand up or jonas wrap I think uh, let him let him speak real quick, and then we'll wrap. Go ahead, uh, Ron and Simon, and, and then we'll wrap. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one last thing just to fly for folks because I mean, we're having these conversations right now in DC with a bunch of obviously uh, lawyers in the space who are monitoring the Coinbase case, Binance, and what have you. Uh, there seems to be recognition now, and I said like you know, legislation is going to take some time. It's going to probably not be this year, at least when it comes to answering the commodity for security question, the, the age old question. But uh, there's been a nose uptick in the past week, I'd say. Uh, folks being like, look, I think the faster play, even with all things considered, is probably still Congress versus the courts. Because the courts, hey, we don't, we still know where the judges are going to uh, land. But also, this could 
especially Coinbase, take a couple of years. So just flagging, even if yeah, they could get this done so fast if they wanted to. Yeah, I mean, or if it was a priority. Exactly. But I, I, yeah, I keep an eye on Congress still, and there's gonna be some again movement this year on the bill. Five percent chance probably it gets to the finish line, but uh, they're gonna probably pick it right back up in 2025 depending on who's uh, in power. So uh, just keep an eye on the Congress. Even when there's some movement, I think the courts are going to take some time, it looks like. So a lot of our internal resources in D.C. are being allocated to. Sounds good. Simon? Yeah, I was just going to end on a fun story, if that's okay with you, on the original topic of um, the Silk Road Bitcoin. Um, Please. Yeah, whenever um, government, uh, the U.S. government is actually one of the largest holders of Bitcoin from all the seizures. Um, but they, the, the original Silk Road, they sold a chunk of those in an auction at $600. Um, but this round that they're selling right now was the 50,000 Bitcoin from the seizure from uh, Jimmy Zong. So uh, look it up. It's a fascinating story. Um, but Jim, Jimmy Zong was basically around during the, the Silk Road time. And uh, he was trying to, and it was, he had he got caught with fifty thousand bitcoin, and the the way he got caught from Silk Road that was uh, the way he got caught is uh, he went away and he uh, called the police because one of his friends broke into his house and stole uh, one of his uh, cold wallets, uh, and he actually called the police, and then the FBI actually started uh, becoming really friendly with him, and they filmed the whole thing, and uh, he started opening up all his wallets, and then they traced it back to. Uh, 50,000 of the original Silk Road uh, Bitcoins. There's documentaries out there, but it's a fascinating story uh, for anyone that's interested in Bitcoin history. Yeah, it's a crazy story. Go ahead, Mario. Well, that's it, man. Um, were, you, were, you using, were, you using, were you using Silk Road back in the day, Scott? Uh, I was. I, I Silk Road long predated me finding Bitcoin. Um, oh. But uh, for being uh, intellectually honest, I probably would have. Uh, hey, hey, Rand is here. <laughs> hey, Rand. Speaking of Silk Road, Rand's on gummies right now. Like we took a video of him doing gummies and then uh, doing a show. So I really just want to hear Rand tell us about uh, the meaning of life. I mean, you, you make as if gummies are like fucking heroin, bro. It's just a gummy. It's like I know, I know, I know. I know. It's just like I mean, it's not. A, I mean, it's not like I took fucking ten, 10 hits of heroin. It's like a. It's a weed gummy, bro. <laughs> I thought that I thought a weed gummy was uh, the uh, gateway drug to ten, ten heroin. Yeah, no, 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 no. Come on, it's it's a it's a very chill thing. Uh, I want to get you on ayahuasca. Ah, that, that's a different story. Then then I'll tell you the meaning of life. Um, but I've I've never I've never done an, an ayahuasca trip. I've been wanting to do it for ages. But every time I, someone tells me their story about vomiting and all that shit. Um, I changed my mind very damn quickly. Rand will tell you um, that the vomiting is pleasant. It's a pleasant experience. Correct, Rand? It's not vomiting, it's purging. And you're purging. You're not purging food. You're purging a lot of emotion. And that's probably a, a topic for another space. But I don't think it's suitable for you this. Can't, you can't say. You can't tell me. But now I'm in the bathroom on the, on the, on the toilet. You can't tell me, Mario. It's just your emotions. No, you're on a, you're on, no dude. You're on a dirty mat. You're on, the, on a dirty mat in the middle of a jungle with a bucket. It's not as nice as you're envisioning it. <laughs> it's not a I'm purging my emotions. I still want to do it one day. But Rand, why don't you come? Why don't Spain, you come? There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's an event in South Africa in March. Why don't you come? 
Uh, Ayahuasca, <laughs> South Africa. <laughs> South Africa. I will, will say that I, I, I will say that if you're going to do it, I trust Ran very much to have no, honed fine. in to have honed in on the best person and source to do it with in South Africa. No, I'm fine I'm doing it with Ran. Just South Africa is not the location of choice. I guarantee you, Mario. I guarantee you, when you come here, you'll consider moving here. We just had the whole the, had the whole banter team from all around the world come to Cape Town to visit us, and mostly it makes you want to come live here. I mean, you, you can't judge. You can't judge. You haven't been here. I've been to why Dubai. because of nature. I've been to Dubai. I've been to the States. I've been to my you tell you name it. I've been there. And I lived. I, I lived. No, I've lived in Australia. I've lived in Australia most of my life. I know. It's one I'm, of the so, most I'm so sorry about that. No, I'm so sorry about that. I mean, Australia is beautiful, but boring as fuck. Seriously. Um, come to South Africa. Let, let, let me come, come be my guest for a week in March. I'll give you a place to do your podcast, I was, your streams. Yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna, I was gonna come. Robert Wolf was, um, he came to Dubai and, and he was gonna go to Africa, and I was genuinely considering it just a couple of months ago. Um, but yeah, um, how many rooms do you have at your house? I have enough for you, my friend. <laughs> I have enough to give you. <laughs> cool. Done. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I really want to. Come, I really want to come in December. You, Rand, you and David have sold it to me that that's like the best place and the best. Can I? Time can I talk? Be. Can I talk about? Can I talk about just before we end? Can I talk about your place, Rand? How how uh, secretive are you about it? No, I mean, I have a house. I have a. I have a house in Cape Town. House? Hold on. In a, a house in Cape Town. A, can I continue? I mean, protected. Um. Yeah. Maybe not. <laughs> Just because okay, right, cool. I, right. I don't feel like unwanted guests tonight, you know what I mean? I, I, why not? I thought South Africa was really, I thought South Africa was really safe. I don't. Yeah. Why don't you want to share where you live? Because I, I can tell you where I am in Dubai. I have no problem right now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But South Africa is not exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there are trade offs. There are trade offs for that great weather. I have to ask you a question. You guys said that um, the the town hall uh, thing was ETFs net outflows. Was that the topic today? I knew. Yes. Yeah, no, yeah, we, we had seven topics. We had seven topics today. Okay. Yeah, go ahead, Brian. Please tell us what you think about the outflows. You know what? I, I want to remind you guys before, before we had before the launch, we said that if after five to uh, after three months, there's between five and ten billion dollars in the ETFs, that would have been a good start. And I think today we hit five billion. So it's not even. It's two weeks, and we've already hit five billion. In net in in net inflows to new ETFs, that's quite a milestone. That means like we can reasonably assume that in three months, uh, we can have probably ten to fifteen. In uh, after three months, now that's way beyond what any. When we did the spaces about um, the net inflows um, into the new ETFs, we 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 didn't um, we, we we didn't assume that the new ETFs would get five billion in the first two weeks. So I think from that point of view, like I think there's a there's a lot to celebrate. Yeah, I think yeah, I think we all agree at this point that it's been a pretty rousing success. Yeah. We just have the GBTC overhang, which will not be with us forever. Yes. Cool. On that point, uh, we can wrap it. All right. Thanks, everyone, and we'll Let's see everyone on Monday. And, uh, there will be a I'll, crypto, I'll, crypto I'll, town hall ayahuasca retreat at Rand's house. <laughs> You're all invited. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye, everyone.